Hello folks, this is the Knickknack Podcast. I'm Knickknack, I'm a queer and trans autist with a variety of deep interests. This podcast is an audio blog where I share my views in pursuit of greater engagement and emotional relief, occasionally inviting others to participate in the fun as well. Today is another solo effort. I plan to talk to Anthony again soon, but for today, I need to process the emotions of the 20-year 9-11 anniversary. I knew this was coming, and I knew it would hit me and many others very, very hard. So, trigger warning. This is largely unscripted. I'm not sure what I'm going to say, for the most part. So take a slow deep breath. Grab a beverage, and let's get started. I think the best place I can start is with a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien from The Fellowship of the Ring. Tolkien fought in the Great War and there's no doubt in my mind that it was that experience that influenced him to write the Lord of the Rings series after initially starting with The Hobbit. In the first book of the Lord of the Rings series, Frodo and Gandalf have a conversation, the highlight of which is Frodo saying to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf replies, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And that is really, in my mind, the greatest and best trinket of humanity wisdom that I think I've ever found and I think I will ever find. Because... It doesn't matter what time in human history you live, or what time in human history you, one may live in the future. There's always going to be things in a lifetime that shock you, that horrify you, that jolt you out of whatever delusional thinking you'd been engaging in prior to that. Unfortunately, for many that were born sometime in the 80s, say between 1980 and maybe 1988 or so, the 
timing of 9-11 for those people. Particularly if they're from and living in the U.S. at the time. Was particularly tragic. For me and my individual experience. I was just about to turn 17. When the attacks happened. My birthday is on the 30th of September. So I was just about to turn 17. Uh, so I would have been 16. And at that point in my life. I had some. Political awareness. And some political aspirations. I was definitely. In the neoliberal space. Still, unfortunately, conservative liberal, probably, for the most part. Although I had activist leanings already through studying John Lennon, the Beatles, and the 60s. My activist leaning were already there. There was some parental influence there, though not a ton, in my humble estimation of it. It was more the just diving into John Lennon in the 60s that made me think about the need for peace, the struggle for equality, the things, sort of the things that I value so much today. I was aware of domestic terrorism in all its various forms, of course. I definitely remember Columbine as an example. I believe I was in junior high at the time. And because of the way I heard it at school, I thought that it had taken place at the high school, which I would be attending next year. So that, uh, that initial thought, the initial way I heard that really hit me hard. Obviously, 9-11 was a bit different. Being in a relatively small town-slash-city of Chico, California, where there is no skyline, there is no hugely tall building, the concept of a building as tall as one of the Twin Towers. I, had n I hadn't been to New York at that point. I had no idea. I had no concept. Other than I knew that the buildings were huge. And every time I had seen a picture of New York up to that point in my life. It had always included the Twin Towers. The Twin Towers having been built sometime in the mid to late 70s. I'd have to look, look that up. But for all my life, every picture of New York and the skyline I had ever seen. And for me, a, a city is defined by its skyline, for better or for worse, had always included the Twin Towers. Usually, that classic kind of Law and Order, Brooklyn Bridge, Lower Manhattan view. So that was always my image of New York. 
and I was heavily influenced by Free to Be You and Me and Sesame Street, so I had a very I idealized image of New York. I, I thought of New York in a very specific way, influenced by those lovely boomers. <laughs> um, and whatever generation immediately follows the boomers, I suppose that's Generation X, but hopefully you take my point. So I had this preconception of New York in my mind that lived in my mind as a far-off fantasy because New York is some 2,800 miles away from me, something something like that. So, on the morning that it happened, being on the West Coast, I am three hours behind the East Coast. I have always struggled to wake up on time and be on schedule. That particular morning was no exception. September 11, 2001. I'll note it was, it was and still is my dad's birthday. So, that probably was somewhere in my mind at the time because my family was still together at the time. So, I would assume, based on context at the time, that my dad tried to wake me up early and on time for high school, which started at 8, and I think I was walking to school about a mile most of the most of the days. Occasionally, my mom would begrudgingly give me a ride. That particular morning, I don't think I had slept well the night before. I never, never have, never did. And I had the oldie station on because that's the kind of music I liked at the time. And the DJ, as I was waking up, the DJ had reports that the tower, that the towers had been hit. And I wasn't awake yet. I just kind of vaguely heard it and my brain wasn't processing it. And, you know, I slowly kind of robotically got myself to school but I was but I was aware enough of it I hadn't seen any news video footage at the time or anything I just heard the radio reports um so, so I mean I was awake enough and aware enough to know something that happened I didn't know I hadn't seen it seen video footage so I didn't know if it was true I didn't know what to believe at that point, whether it was an accident or intentional or any of that. All I know is I love the New York skyline and here something's happened to two of the most noticeable pieces of the lower Manhattan skyline anyway. The Chrysler Building's my favorite in my favorite in midtown Manhattan, but that's a different different story. I believe my mom dropped me off on this particular day, and I had to walk across the field towards the back of my high school to get to my first class, which was in the portables, which was towards the back of campus. And the high school that I went to is close to Chico State, and I believe the tallest building in Chico is Whitney Hall. I believe, which is a, a dormitory for Chico State. And I had a clear view of, of Whitney Hall as I was walking 
to my first class of the day, which was Algebra B, I think. Um, like my second or third time trying to understand algebra. And I'm walking to class, and I'm still half awake because I'm absolutely useless on most days before noon, let alone before 2 p.m. So my brain's not, not really working out, working so well. I'm in high school, I'm young, I'm tired, I have heard this strange news story, I don't know what to make of it yet, and I'm walking across the field and I'm looking at Whitney Hall and I'm asking myself, the, the, ta the towers must have fallen at this point, because I was asking myself, what, ha what, what would it be like, what would it mean if Whitney Hall fell down? And I remember just thinking about that as I was walking across the field to my first class of the day. This is high school, don't forget. People are morons, don't forget. People process things in differently, different ways, don't forget. So, the first class of the day, Somebody was relaying the news story, and as I recall, they were relaying it pretty accurately. But my teacher that period was in complete denial. And... It was just kind of seen as a distraction, and we needed to do our algebra. I can't remember whether choir was second period or third period. But whatever period it it was, by the time I got to that period, both towers had collapsed, and it was known to be a terrorist attack. And it was just this long, slow process that I'm still in. Two airliners intentionally were hijacked and rammed into the Twin Towers. Seven six sevens in both cases. One a 200ER and one a regular 200. Both departing out of Boston, Logan. Then another airplane, I don't remember... I don't remember the where the two 757s departed out of. I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. But one, of course, was the passengers managed to bring it down in Pennsylvania, saving lives. And another was rammed into the Pentagon. The one that was rammed into the Pentagon was a 757. Uh, 757, for those that don't know, seats between 170 and 200 people, roughly. The 767-200s that were rammed into the World Trade Center seat about 200 people. And actually, even as I speak, I've got a 767-200ER painted in TWA colors and with a different flight number, but still, I've got it flying from Boston to Los Angeles because that was the that was something I thought that might help me be able to handle it. Obviously, I'm not going to simulate it any further than that, 
other than being in a 767-200ER and other than going from Boston to LA. For the first 20-30 minutes of the sim session, I gave myself some time to process it and I played some in and I'm not gonna lie. I distinctly remember the horrible, horrible in retrospect, uh, I think it was Flight Sim 2000. Uh, there was a instructional video that came with it that John and Martha King, they did a video showing them flying in between the Twin Towers in a, like a 172 or something. And I remember, I rem- I, you know, I'd already, I, I'd had Flight Sim 2000, I was waiting on Flight Sim 2002. Either that or it was already out. I don't think it was out by that point yet. Um, of course, they removed the towers when they were, when they released 2002, so that you couldn't recreate it. And still, every flight sim that's available to this day, unless you go back to something like Flight Sim 2000, doesn't include the towers. So, at any rate, the fact that these these Landmarks, more than anything else, were destroyed intentionally by hijacking and robbing people just getting on an airplane of their lives. I will never get over. I love the 767 and the 757. They're cool airplanes. And over the years, I've simulated them quite a bit. Nonetheless, I can't sit in a virtual 767 or 757 flight deck without thinking about 9-11, without thinking about the experience the pilots of those hijacked flights had, the experience the passengers had. And then, not only not only are these, these landmarks attacked, but in the case of the Twin Towers, of course, the buildings collapsed, which no one was expecting. I mean, it was it was visually evident that if you had been in a part of the building that was hit or above, you were you had no hope. The people that jumped, it's faster than than sitting there in the building. I just remember watching it and seeing it and I don't think I don't think I got to see live news footage until fourth period um, computer art class if I remember correctly and by then of course every 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 class the rest of the day was just sitting in the class and watching the TV perfectly to it we couldn't do anything else and I remember being so struck with fear and just wanting to go home. And I don't remember if I called my mom or not or just talked to my friend at the time. But I don't I don't think I was ever given the option to just go home. And to not be given that option on that particular day was just cruel. They should have just sent everybody home. Because on that day... When something that big happens, you know, same thing, I'm sure, I'm sure it was the same thing on the day that Pearl Harbor was hit, on the day of that um, 
Hiroshima and Nagasaki were hit. John, the day John F. Kennedy was shot. Jane, the day Martin Luther King was shot. The day John Lennon was shot. It's, it's the same thing over and over again. When something that big happens, you need time. You need space. And sometimes even 20 years is not enough. In fact, usually a time interval as small as 20 years is not enough. And I'm still dealing with it. And every person that lived through that moment, either directly, you know, in New York City, obviously that's the most the most you're going to experience it or or just missing the flight or the flights or being at the being a gate agent and or being the dispatcher of the day or being the, any of the air traffic controllers of the day that that sort of thing like it impacted all those people very very deeply very very heavily any of the any of the rescue people that obviously survived the collapse of the buildings um, and anyone probably within a 60 mile radius of lower Manhattan would have been deeply and heavily impacted by that event particularly because I think the bridges were shut down like they, they closed off the island of Manhattan for some time as I recall so it was a huge 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 thing and you know the initial reaction is of course fear when's the next attack gonna come sort of thing all airplanes were grounded for several days and of course that time of the day there were some flights on the North Atlantic on the Nat tracks etc and they had had to be diverted to their ETOPS destinations or their en route alternates, such as, you know, Halifax, uh, Gander, and a number of St. John's, and a no number of the other places kind of in extreme rural northeastern Canada. It had a massively huge impact all over the world. As soon as I recognized what happened, as soon as I saw the news footage, I realized gee, in a lot of ways, it's probably no longer safe to be an app geek. And I didn't even have the term app geek at the time. Because you say you're an app geek and you say, oh, I fly whatever jet you fly, or oh, I fly whatever 172 I fly, and oh, I know the such and such about the airplane. Suddenly, you're a potential terrorist. And then, of course, immediately after the fear came the paranoia, came the disgusting patriotism. Initially, I went along with it for several weeks, even putting animated GIFs, eventually of an American flag, uh, Australian flag, the UK flag, I think, was what I initially went with, and then I eventually went with the UN flag and a number of other flags on my GeoCities website that I have at the time. Um, and I made probably several silly, in retrospect, blog posts before blogging was a thing. 
And this was, you know, GeoCities, and unfortunately the, the website has been lost to time. Uh, so I'll never know exactly, or never know, remember exactly what I put up there, or what it, what it looked like, or whatever. We're in such a vulnerable state that anything that moron George W. Bush said <laughs> sounded good. Anything that moron Tony Blair said sounded good. And dear God, in retrospect, W. Cheney, Blair, probably to some extent Gordon Brown, and definitely Obama and Trump and everything, everyone that has come since, have done horrific damage and just taken advantage of the situation. It does baffle me. Just the, the facts of the towers collapsing. Because I know even if they needed a longer routing and an alternate for those 767 flights on that particular day, they wouldn't have been using the center tank, most likely. It would have been all left-wing tank, right-wing tank. And that's not to say that the left wing and right wing of the 767 can't hold a reasonable amount of fuel. Something like 72,000 pounds of fuel between the left and right. I, I, I'd have to look at the airplane to know exactly. It's still, it's still, it boggles my mind that in the case of the fight today, I dispatched with 59,000 pounds of fuel. And that was, I didn't, you know, I didn't need an alternate. I didn't need a, a longer routing. The weather, the weather is very, very good today. Very, very clear, eerily reminiscent of September 11th, 2001, actually. So it boggles my mind that, you know, by, by the time the planes would have gotten to their unfortunate targets, they probably wouldn't have had more, much more than... 40,000 pounds of fuel on board, maybe? 40, 45,000? Maybe? And that's still enough, apparently, to do what they did, because there's no other reasonable explanation. Now, whether or not Clinton and W knew what was likely to occur before it occurred, I suspect either they themselves or their underlings, other parts of the government, CIA, FBI, whatever, had a pretty good idea that something like this was likely to occur. And they either couldn't or intentionally didn't do enough to stop it because they had an agenda and they saw an opportunity. I think that's the closest to the truth you can probably get. So in that sense, George W. Bush, in my mind, is right up there with Hitler, Stalin, and Pol Pot. A tremendous opportunist that knew he wanted to do something. The event happened 
and they manipulated the situation. And it probably wasn't him directly because he doesn't strike me as the sharpest tool in the shed. It was probably more his advisors and the powers that be, whatever the powers that be are. But however it happened, he's the figurehead that I think of. The most prominent figure that I think figurehead that I think of. And 20 years later, the War on Terror continues. We don't call it the War on Terror anymore because the way W pronounced it in his Texas accent, the War on Terror, the way that's that's been done. I mean, God, look at the TSA. How horrid is it to get on an airplane these days? Whether you do pre-check or whatever, or if you're a flight crew member and, and you, you deal with whatever procedures flight crew members deal with and all that. And what is, what is, what is security theater and paranoia accomplished? And when, when it comes to the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq and every, every other undeclared war that has come since, or military action or whatever word you want to use, it's all been responding to terrorism with more terrorism. I, I, I sincerely thank my history teacher that year, Mr. Christopher, because I think he brought in a visitor shortly after the terrorist attacks to tell us a, a little bit about Islam and the Islamic faith and Islamic tradition and, and all that. And then later, based on that initial exposure, I put together the larger historical story of, well, after World War II, Russia, France, United Kingdom, U.S. were the victors. And they divided up the spoils. And they started the U.N. And they arbitrarily, particularly in Western Asia and Northern Africa, they just arbitrarily started drawing borders the way they wanted to without any regard for the people that actually lived there. And then on top of that, Truman decides he doesn't trust Stalin anymore. Understandably. Even FDR towards the end wasn't wasn't all that happy with Stalin, although initially he liked him from everything I've read. So you take that, and suddenly the Cold War begins, and suddenly the Marshall Plan is put in place and we're fighting communism and suddenly it, it it no longer becomes oh the Russian government is doing some crappy things we need to like watch them and keep an eye on them no it becomes communism is bad and it becomes 
any country that declares itself a, co a communist state is bad. Democracy is good, as if what the U.S. has is in any way close to democracy. It just becomes this propaganda war. And military actions and campaigns. The Korean War, the Vietnam War, Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, and all the crappy military actions that have come since have all been a result of the way the map was arbitrarily split up and the tensions that arose as a result of the Allies winning World War II. So it's in this context that you have to understand the plight of the Afghan people and the Taliban and all that. In the early 2000s, Afghanistan was this country that isn't really a whole. It's kind of a fractional thing that's just unified by the map more than anything else. Prior to the 2000s, in the 70s and 80s and probably before, the U.S. had been arming institutions like the Taliban because they were trying to do the Cold War thing against Russia. So really, 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 the U.S. trained the same people that would later be fighting against us. And it's a matter of convenience politically. It's a matter of, oh, today you can be our allies because you can help us fight Russia. Tomorrow, oh, you have oil. You won't give us your oil. We want oil. Um, oh, you're mad? And you're going to attack us? Okay, well, cool. Well, now I can manipulate the situation and attack you to try and get your oil and other natural resources that we want, and we can call it spreading democracy. And this is the humbug that has defined the last 20 years. Paranoia justified in some cases, making it not paranoia, because paranoia is defined as a rational fear. A massive quashing of free expression, and essentially the easiest way you could articulate what has taken place over the last 20 years, it comes down to terrorist win. And really that's what's, what's happened, except terrorism isn't just being committed by people reacting. The people of Afghanistan and Syria and, and any number of other places around the world. Like, like, terrorism isn't just a reactionary act. Terrorism is also something that's done by, by states. And they call it counter-terrorism. All counter-terrorism is, is more terrorism. And it's you know, the terrorism of the U.S. and many other countries that started this whole thing. We started it. 
that's that's really what it comes down to. And this is not to say that because we started it, it's justified to attack civilians. I think the only person that has the right to deprive someone of life is a person carrying an unborn child. That's situation number one. Situation number two, if for whatever reason a person decides to end their own life, another person may question that judgment call. They may encourage the person not to make that decision. But ultimately, your body, your life, your, your right to choose. Outside of that, we shouldn't be killing people. We shouldn't be hurting people. Property? Go for it. But people, people should be allowed to live unless they themselves choose not to. And, the, you know, the only reason I, I'm, I'm where I'm at with, with the whole taking a life in a womb thing is because that life cannot exist without the person whose body it's in. So I guess all this is to say, the twenty last 20 years have been extremely trying. The anniversary hits me hard. The trend that, that probably existed beforehand, but was magnified on that day and afterwards is absolutely vile. I realize... I am an American idiot because I listen to a lot of podcasts, which are technically new media, and I, I am a podcaster, so therefore I create new media, so I am part of a country that does a new media, unfortunately, but where I draw the line, or try to draw the line, is not unquestioningly taking as fact whatever a government or media outlet says. Question everything. Trust no one. Everybody lies. The truth is out there. People are bastard covered bastards with bastards feelings. <laughs> like these are the elements of wisdoms that hilariously enough I distilled from television or entertainment television, but still like these these are these are the things that guide me. I will always remember Spock's dying words. And they will always guide who I try to be and who I aspire to be, though I fail and fall short all the time. For me, the guiding principle is always and has always been that the needs of the many, the larger communal need, outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And to me, in a communal sense, the few are Wall Street executives, rich people exploiting others, and you know all that's happened in the last twenty years. You know, you've always seen some variant of, of the same patterns throughout human history. Sometimes more amplified, sometimes less amplified, but it's always the same, and it always repeats, and we never really get out of the cycle. 
And I dare say scientifically, we probably never will. Which is why, although I want humanity to be better, I realize that it's likely not possible for it to get better. So therefore, my source of hope is eventually the sun will explode and all life on Earth will end. And that gives me hope. <laughs> so dark, I know. This is just me trying to process stuff. Uh, that's that's all this is. And sometimes I am wrong. And I do my best. And like Carlin, I try and appreciate each individual I meet as best I can. Most individuals, I can't tolerate. I try. And that's why I believe that more than anything else, is why I believe we need a larger entity, a social organization or something that looks at communal needs and prioritizes communal needs. Because on an individual basis, person to person, I get along with approximately 0.09%. That's less than 1%. Of the people I meet. And when I say get along. I mean I can have a conversation with. I think it's actually more closer. Closer to 0.009% of the people I meet. Everybody else. I can have a transactional transactional conversation. If I'm in a good mood. But uh, outside of that can't do it. So. I say that to say. I think as individuals we have the right to say. Okay I can handle you. Okay, I enjoy your company, or nope, can't stand you, don't want to even be in the same room with you, don't want to see you, don't want to talk to you, go away. I think on an individual level, you have every right to make that choice. On a societal level, everybody's needs matter. That's the only balance I can, I can strike intellectually, philosophically. So, this toast turned into a long rambling one, as I knew it would. Hopefully... I haven't done any irreparable damage. I've tried very hard, actually, to, to not podcast, to kind of take a break for a little bit, to try and hopefully wait for my spoons spoons or tickets or whatever metaphor to, you want to use to regenerate somehow. They really haven't. Um, it's just more, more fatigue, but I'm doing my best. I hope you are, too. And... I don't think there's any any definite answers to humanity, but hopefully we can find less long, wrong ones soon in less devastating ways. That's, that's my attempt to flare the episode. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for, for, for sitting with it. As I say... Hopefully I'll be talking to Anthony again and doing kind of a follow-up episode to Living It's Easy with Eyes Closed sometime soon. If you enjoy my work, value it, and like to support it in the form of feedback or donations, please head to knickknackpod.net. Reviews in the podcast app help as well. Today, I'm just going to be using Raindrop Rhapsody by Josh Elkenberry. Unfortunately, I don't have uh, Josh's URL. I've looked for it and I can't find it. So 
I'll just say that Raindrop Rhapsody is released under Creative Commons. And I thank Josh for allowing his creation to be used in this production. I share and know the value of the Creative Commons approach to intellectual creations, which is why the Knickknack Podcast and FS Ride Along series is copyright 2006 through 2021 by Knickknack Marsh and is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. May you find the safety and support to empower you and meet your needs. Bye.